planting naked seed to reduce pest pressure. That's our topic for today, and it's one that we are hearing more about. I use this picture here. It's uh, if you if you look close, you'll see it's actually field corn seed, and uh, I've been playing around with this for about I believe it's five years now. So I do have some personal experience, and I'm going to share that with you today, and also some others' uh, experience as well. But I got to tell you, it is after you spend your whole life essentially pouring in seed that's either pink or green or blue or some sort of color, it's really weird to pour in yellow seed corn into the hopper of uh, your planters. So I'll just set that up that uh, that's just one of those things that it's kind of different. But um, but nonetheless, I want to go through some uh, some of the, the reasons that we're looking into this and so forth. And, and to just tell you how to do this, what not to do, what to consider, and how to set yourself up for not using seed treatments, particularly insecticides, which we're going to focus on today. So really briefly, why use seed treatments? Basically, you know, we've been brought up as to kill the pest, and I have that in bold, to kill the pests. We kind of have this mentality out there, you know, we're going to kill everything that's hurting us. Uh, and, and I'll just add here, what I'm, what I'm trying to do, and I know a lot of you on this webinar and a lot of you in this group, we're kind of changing that and trying to look at our farming practices. How can we create more life? How can we mimic nature? How can we add diversity rather than killing diversity? So it's, it's, this, this whole topic today is kind of rising out of that mentality of not how much, what can we kill today, but what can we bring to life? How can we mimic nature? And uh, so that's where this topic fits in. And I just want to set up that. Um, so some of the other reasons by using seed treatments, uh, and obviously they're effective. Uh, I mean, they do work, you can say, to try to accomplish what we want. They're worth the money, the extra expense. But is it just an insurance policy? Uh, and and I, would, I would maintain in a lot of cases it is. And if you just look at the numbers, you can certainly make a case for that. Obviously, the people who are selling the insecticides, and we're going to particularly pay attention to the neonicotinoid, the ones that are on most of the seed treatments, that insecticide group uh, today, you see all the data behind that. And... You know, data is, is simply something that, that people will get in order to sell a product, and uh, whether or not that data accurately reflects what your farm will do is up to you, the farmer, to decide. And, and I still think we as farmers need to wrestle back a little bit more control in our own operations with some of these inputs. Do you really need them? And then finally, I have in this slide, is it, a, is it more of a profit stream from seed companies, and, and not against seed companies here. I'm not trying to, to knock seed companies and what they're trying to do because they're trying to be successful. But I think from a seed company perspective, a lot of times it's an insurance policy for them so they don't get complaints about their seed. Because you know what we do as farmers, as soon as there's a problem out there, we have to blame it on somebody. It's certainly not my fault. And... Uh, I know that from being in the business myself, being in the cover crop business, that 
it's easy to point to something, some sort of input as the cause for a problem out there. So I think the seed companies are using this also as sort of an insurance policy to make sure that, in, especially in soils that may not be alive, that uh, they're actually killing pests that need to be killed in order for that crop to grow. So again, approaching this from a different mentality, I think is important to understand in the topic that we're talking about today. So I'm not going to say neonicotoid all every time. I'm going to say neonics, short for neonicotoid. Um, and most of us have heard uh, that this term before. But, and, and this is the latest figures I found in the quick search on the internet. Over 90% of the corn and 50% of the soybeans in the United States have neonics applied to the seed. And the last I saw this reference was 2014. We're five years down the road, or four planting seasons past that. And, and I'll, I'll guarantee you that numbers could have probably only increased. Uh, so they're everywhere. And um, it's just it's kind of a fact that, uh, that uh, you know, what we're dealing with now. So where do the concerns come in? What are the side effects? And this leads us to our topic today. And uh, the core principle of what I'm going to be talking about is what is called a non-target secondary kill. A non-target secondary kill. And I'll explain that. Uh, down in the lower left picture is a soybean plant just emerging. And there are two very happy slugs getting a free meal of a beautiful tender little seedling of a soybean plant. This soybean plant happened to be treated with a neonic insecticide. And the slugs don't have a clue because they're a mollusk. They're not an insect. So the insecticide that is in that plant does not affect them at all. And they happily slither away then after full meal and along comes their mortal enemy, the carabid beetle, which is over there on the right side. The carabid beetle is happy. He just found a really nice meal. And he starts chowing down that slug. And before you know it, the carabid beetle is dead. So that's kind of a little animated story there for you of what's happening here. The carabid beetle, from a farmer's perspective, is a beneficial insect. It does no harm to the crops we grow. And it is, I will say, it has a place in our ecosystem for the checks and balances of the insect, insect world uh, where it does eat slugs. The problem is that insecticide that was applied to that soybean seed was ingested by the slug, didn't affect the slug, but it's toxic enough to kill a non-target secondary kill in this case. That's what I mean by this. So what happens then? This happens time and time again. Before you know it, your carabid beetle population is decimated and the slugs thrive. Uh, so this is just a, is one example of, of uh, you know, what happens in this uh, world of insects and, and predators and slugs. Um, so I know that some of you don't have slugs and to consider yourselves fortunate. Pretty much everyone in the higher rainfall areas deal with slugs when we're talking in the context here of our group, cover crops, no-till, reduced tillage, and so forth. 
So this is this is just an example that wherever you live, there may be other insects that this occurs to, and uh, you would probably know what they may be. But this is where we're kind of backing up and saying, wait a minute, maybe these insecticide treatments are not doing in a big from the big picture what we were hoping for them to do. Maybe we don't need them. Maybe by providing a habitat for our beneficial insects to attack the insect pests that we're dealing with, we should let nature do its work. But we have to set up the habitat to do that. So that's kind of a little story there, analogy. Uh, but a couple other things. Neonics are also being targeted for their negative effect on bees. I put a question mark up there. I probably shouldn't have put a question mark there because I do think they probably are affecting bees. I do know that the chemical industry is looking hard into this. Uh, but I'm just going to say today, I think neonics are having a effect on our ecosystem that's probably not good. Um, I'm not advocating that they be banned in that sense, but they've been way overused, and I will stand behind that statement. Uh, what about the other pollinator insects that they're, they're, they target and kill that could be screwing up our ecosystem, and, and it just makes us become addicted to insecticides? Um, and, and I'll just make a note, too, here. Uh, to try to maybe balance a little bit of my passionate year coming out. I do understand that there are more, we'll say, insecticides coming out that are more narrow spectrum and are more targeted in their use. I rarely use insecticides anymore. My goal is to use none, but if I ever need to, to salvage a crop or, if, you know, some plague comes in or whatever, I'm not opposed to using insecticides. So I'm kind of giving you that balance for what I'm coming from. But the reality of it is neonics have already been banned in Europe. And, and just looking across here, um, and some of you can chime in later, Ontario, Canada has uh, limited them that you can only use them on 20% of their acres. I just saw that today when I was doing some research for this. So my question is, do we need them? Do we need neonics? Can we get by without them? I know for me, if they're banned, um, I'm not going to uh, protest that. I'll just say that. Um, uh, so that's kind of where I'm at. Um, did some research on my farm with uh, Penn State University. Uh, this is back in 2015. This was in a trial that was looking at planting green or planting into green cover crops. And in the context of that, we were kind of kind of look at what we were seeing. We were seeing less slug damage to our corn and to our soybeans when we planted green. So you got to ask the question, why? How does that work? So we did uh, early on some experiments where we sprayed our cover crop, in this case, cereal rye, early, and then where we sprayed it late. Spraying early was two to three weeks before corn planting, and spraying late was at or near corn planting, right before or a few days after, but before emergence. So the theory was, or what we were looking for, is to monitor the predatory insects. So if you see my chart there, along the bottom is the dates throughout the year, but the key is 
the brown line is indicates the average total predators that were observed and the dotted green line was the ones where the Shirai was left go, left grow a couple weeks longer. And you can see, sure enough, we had more predators. Now, this particular chart does not compare neonics without neonics. I'll have a chart with that later on. But I want to say that in the context of planting naked seed, it seems like growing in a planting green situation is. I'll just say synergistic to doing this. So I'm just going to make that comment. It seems like planting green and using naked seed, there's a synergy there. So I think there's, it's just all about the life in the soil, the biology in the soil that we keep going uh, and, and so forth. So I just want to make that observation in this context, uh, just to differentiate here that this chart is basically showing where this works. And, when we did this, we used naked seed to plant it. So this is just a picture of the actual plots. So you can see how we killed the uh, rye early before planting, and here we are planting all the plots the same day. Uh, and just to give you a visual of what that was uh, looking at. I see Barry asked a question, how about the total number of pests? I don't have that data right now. I could dig for it and get back and find it. Um, I'm going to just make a note here. I might be able to check, check that. I have seen those numbers before, um, and uh, I just don't have that, uh, that, that specific data today, Barry. So <clears throat> now let's look at uh, another slide here of slug damage uh, to soybeans here. Uh, so, and this, again, just to be clear, this is, planting with using naked seed, but this is the planting green component, which I feel is important. I feel that that's like the, you know, if you're going to plant naked seeds, you want to plant green. Uh, and that's why I'm showing you this research here. Uh, so uh, the slug damage was higher. The brown bars represented an earlier kill of the cover crop. So the cover crop is dead sooner. So you just look across there. This is, this is um, five different sites in Pennsylvania. And you can see my site was one of them over there on the left-hand side. So I'm not going to go over the numbers. I just wanted to show you in the context of planting naked seed when we planted green in that context that it worked. Because a lot of people, that if you're coming at it from the, we'll say, the more conventional side, you would say, you know, there's just no way this is going to work. You're going to be attacked by all kinds of insects, and they're going to eat up your seed, and you won't have any, you know, uh, decreased yield and all that. We did not find that. Now, a point that I'm going to bring up later on, and this I think is critical. At, at these locations across there, most of these locations had a history of using cover crops and no-till. The one that says Rock Springs and the one that says Landisville are two of the Penn State research farms. I do not know the history of those actual plots, how long they have had been in a system of no-till or cover crops. I do know that the other three listed down there are all farms that had a long history of no-till and cover crops. So I'll just put that out there for whatever it's worth in the context of this discussion. 
Now, here's where I feel is the most strongest research I have seen to date. I just got this two weeks ago. I was speaking in, um, in Ontario with Dr. John Tooker from Penn State University. And I am going to send out an article, at least one article that he is an author of on this very subject. And I would say he is one of the leaders in the, in the, in the realm of this, uh, in studying this, because he's been really looking at this. Now, it's going to take a little time to discuss this and to show you what this slide means here. But let's look at each of those rectangles are a year, year one to year six. You go from the top there, you can see that. So in each one of those, you have the gray dots and the black dots. The gray dots are the number of slugs that have been observed. Okay, the black ones are the number of predatory insects that eat slugs. So underneath then, you can see the high input, which in this case is treated seed. The low input is naked um, uh, uh, seeds. Um, so when we go across here, uh, if you look at that, as we get into, uh, as the years go across there, we're starting to see, um, okay, I'm, I just made a mistake when I said that. I'm just looking at this here. I, the high input and low input, uh, I don't think I said that correctly. I'm just going to back up and say a little bit here. When you go across here from year one to year six, as we get into this system, we start to see uh, more and more um, predators. More predators come and in, the, in the low input system. Uh, I guess I was right. I'm sorry. I was a little bit confused here. This is just looking at the... Uh, uh, at the predators. So I, I apologize. I should have written something there and remind me. So the, the gray ones is the high input system and the black is the low input, which is naked seed. So as you go across here, the low input system, you can clearly see, we start to see more predators come out of that. And that's what we're looking for. And that's the beauty of this. Once you get into the system, you see how the, um, the effect that when we use less neonics, we start to build our beneficial insects over time. Again, I apologize for the confusion there, but I think you can see what I'm trying to say. And that's the trend now, because the last four years, we continue to see higher numbers increase over this system. Um, so um, with that, I'm going to pause and uh, open up the mics. And um, I really want to hear from those of you who have done some naked seed, How's it working? What has worked? What hasn't worked? Any questions you might have in this? Um, because I really want to hear what others of you are finding. So who wants to be first? Who has a question or a comment? Hey, Steve, hey, this Lloyd. is Lloyd. Go ahead, let's go with Lloyd. Yeah, the naked seed and conventional seed, is that the same or is it a completely different item? It's the same variety, if that's what you mean. Yeah, uh, so if yes. I buy conventional, uh, I'm buying naked seed. Well, okay, I'm not exactly sure what you mean there, Lloyd. Uh, I, I don't buy any stack corn. I buy conventional seed. Right, non-GMO, non-GMO. Non okay. mm -hmm. Is that considered naked? No, the word naked here, we're using it for the seed coating. 
Okay, so in the terminology that I'm using is the coating. Anything insecticide you have on the seed, not a insecticide trait per se. We were not testing with traits like BT corn. We were not doing that. That's another. That's another. uh, That would be a separate type of a of a test. We were looking at the neonicotinoid applied to the seed. So my. In my seed catalogs, I do not see anything that says naked. All I see is conventional and very oh, yeah. stacked. Oh, yeah. So you have to ask specifically for it. And okay. then that's what I'm going to get out here a little bit later. But I'll okay. just answer it, Lloyd, and for everyone else. Very, very, very few seed companies will offer this unless they happen to be organic. Uh, of course, because they, you know, you can't put an insecticide on or organic seed. So you have that option. You may not have the genetics there you want. So it's more typically, it is um, uh, more typically, it's uh, smaller regional seed companies will do this. And there's a few of them. And and I'll just say, because you know this, TA seed, which is you're familiar with, and, and now it's called local seed here in the East. They have been providing uh, this. If you, if you let them know by now, it may be too late. Um, I just talked to the rep in the area. I'm just telling the rest of you here, you got to be talking about this early on to see if they'll even be interested in it. If you have the main, you know, national seed brands, they're just going to laugh at you probably uh, to not put treated seed because everything is essentially treated. Almost everything is. So you have to either you go work with a local, with a seed company that's regional, that's small enough that they'll treat a, a certain amount for you, and you have to talk to them early. Uh, here in my area, like I said, I just talked to one yesterday, another company, uh, who um, <clears throat> has said that they're willing to they're willing to provide untreated naked seed. So I think, Lloyd, to answer your question, what we're talking about here is the insecticide that's applied to the seed, not, the, not, the, not any GMO traits or anything. Like that. That's a different topic. Did I clear that up for you, Lloyd? Yeah. Okay. I think John was going to say something. John? Yeah, I, I jumped in last year. A, a local Indiana seed company, Spectrum, has been um, uh, doing uh, naked seeds, non-GMO seeds. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't want to plant them in, in early April, but, uh, you know, planting in May um, got real good. Uh, they looked really good. Um, and and the, the yields were comparable, and the cost of the seed was was less than the uh, the big companies. Um, my, you know, when when uh, we could get uh, neonic treated pumpkin seeds, I thought that was going to be awesome. And uh, because you're only seed out every two or three feet in your row, rather than having to to treat the whole field for a flea beetle. But uh, I've been, I'm, I'm still a bit concerned. Pumpkins seem to have pretty good resistance to um, the uh, flea beetle vectored um, uh, wilts. But um, some of the other uh, crops, you know, like um, cucumber and um, uh, <clears throat> melons, and, and I think giant pumpkins seem to be more susceptible. So, uh, <clears throat> but I'm, I'm, I'm getting more non-treated uh, pumpkin seeds. But as far as uh, field crops, it, it's a, uh, it's working out really good. We've been planting no, non-treated um, second crop soybean seeds forever, just because that's that's the way they come. We didn't feel like we needed, them. and uh, so um, um, the the rep 
uh, really looked at me when I said I wanted non-treated soybeans for my main crop because he had all these statistics for for how the treatment helped me. But um, I think his soil might be different than my soil. Well, okay, John, thank you, because I, and I'll just uh, reply a little bit off your comment. I grow a lot of pumpkins as well, and I remember when I first heard of this idea of putting an insecticide on the tree, on the seed, you couldn't do it for pumpkins, and I actually did it myself. And as you said, we're only planting like 2,500 seeds per acre, and instead of dribbling an insecticide in a row that there's only a seed every 24 inches, I thought that was ridiculous. So putting the insecticide on the seed you know it cut your price down like like the 10 percent of the cost per acre so on a cost benefit that was really good and as you said some of the uh insects will transmit viruses and so there is a a, a genuine concern other than just eating the physically eating the plant uh, or, or damaging or slow it down it can actually transmit a virus that can kill a plant okay, yes so but but i gotta tell you uh, I, I've been weaning myself off and, and I, uh, th there are still a few of my squash and pumpkins that I'm not sure if I can get untreated, but, uh, last year I did like 20, no, I think I'll be about 40 acres of my 80 acres with untreated seed seemed to get along fine. Uh, but, uh, as you'll see here, my wrap up slides, you have to earn the right to do this. And you also mentioned John, uh, that, um, that your early plantings, you're a little bit not as sure to do it. And I agree. Uh, if you're pushing planting early, they're, they're, because the plants are growing smaller, I would, I would, I would use a little caution on that. Um, so anyway, just to follow up with you, John, on that, just thought I'd uh, follow up on there. So I see we have some other people here uh, on, uh, to turn their mics on anyway. Uh, other questions or comments on, on this, uh, on our topic here? Anybody else? I just while you're thinking, Barry said that um, he chatted in the chat here. He's used naked and uh, soybeans, and I've seen no yield differences regardless of planting date. And he makes a comment here, and it's and it's actually you know reality. Pioneer gives free replant if you use treated. So if I planted earlier, that guarantee is important, and I get that. Uh, but and you're this is where you're kind of have to be on your own with some of this. So. Um, uh, so, so yeah, I, um, I, I, uh, I do understand that. And there's, there's a certain amount you're going to have to assume some risk here in doing this. Um, I'm, I'm, I apologize to my German friends who are typing in here. I do not know German. I cannot understand it. I don't know if there's a translation I could do, but, uh, uh, so I just apologize for that. Uh, but is there other people who have uh, some comments? Who else has tried this? Any? I guess has there any been any failures out there uh, that you want to talk about? Anybody? Steve. Yeah, go ahead. This is Rod. Mm -hmm. uh, for go ahead, year, Rod. For years under dry land conditions, we uh, we didn't treat our wheat or fall wheat or spring barley and. Uh, just liked it because of the health reasons, but eventually we started seeing loose smut, and so we had to go back to it. That's okay. all. That's all we've experienced. We uh, okay. we clean and treat our own seed, so it was easy for us to to okay. add or subtract it. 
Okay, Rod. Where are you from, Rod? Remind us where you're from. Idaho. Oh, yes, out in Idaho. So you're saying you you have gone back to treating seed because there's some uh, disease issues that have come up. You said smut. Yes, right? that, yeah. that's what we noticed was smut. And Okay. Well, does anybody else have any comments on that? Um, yeah, Steve, I've been using untreated soybean seed for five or six years as well uh-huh. as with all the cereals like rye, wheat, and uh-huh. oats. I've been trying to get the canola untreated, but at this point, I'm it's like hitting your head up against a wall. Uh-huh. They don't want to talk to you about that, so I'm still right. working on it. Yeah, I hear you. That That is a reality, and that's that. That's just, as, as we kind of discussed here, if you're really serious about this, you have to talk to early, and you may have to work with other ones. Um, and I do know uh, um, John mentioned Spectrum Seed. They're, I think they're based out of Illinois or Indiana. I think that's right, Indiana. Uh, they're a company that is is kind of up on this. Uh, what I have seen is there are a few companies now are starting to see this as an opportunity to actually compete against the big national brands because they'll offer it. And and I'll just say that just goes to show you how strong this uh, this concept is. Uh, uh, any other um, comments or questions so far before we before I kind of get my wrap up slides here? Okay, I'm going to just wrap it up, and then we'll open it up again um, uh, at the end. But um, I'm just going to wrap it up by saying, do we really need seed treatments in a healthy soil? And this is what I'm going to emphasize here. Uh, uh, I guess I'm going to answer my question first, and I'll say on the other side here, maybe not. Uh, So, But the key here is healthy soils. So here's... Recommendations that I have for planting naked seed, I would love to hear more from you guys. And I'm simply saying, start with a highly biological active field. If you have a corn soybean rotation forever with no cover crops, I really would discourage you from doing much at all of this because I don't think a field set up with enough of of uh, beneficials there to take over and help control the pests. So I like to say you need to earn the right to do this. So you saw my chart earlier. This is based on Penn State studies. They're looking at three years, it seems to take, till you start getting ahead of the game in this. So that's what we know right now. So you must judge how biological diverse your fields are. And you can go out and look for these critters you have to, you know, I didn't know what a crabbed beetle was 10, 15 years ago. Now I do. Uh, so you have to become educated on some of this to know where they're at. Lightning bugs. Uh, we have found lightning bugs is like the number three enemy of slugs. Uh, I didn't know that before. Uh, I know that not all of you have lightning bugs. We have them here in the East. Uh, so just understanding some of this is important. So you have to earn the right to plant naked seed. That's the first point I always want to say. Uh, we've kind of discussed the next part here. You need to talk to your seed supplier earlier or maybe find another one who's willing to, to, to do it. And I know that the challenge there is can you get the right genetics from a new supplier that will work in your area? Well, this is kind of part of being in the cutting edge. It's part of, part of being a pioneer, if you will. And I'm not talking about the seed corn company in this case, but uh, eventually pioneer seed corn will probably catch on to this. Uh, maybe, I don't know. 
Um, also, I'll, I'll caution, maybe not for the earliest planning. That was brought up by a couple of you already. There, you, if, if you're pushing it really early, especially with maybe the fungicide part, we didn't talk about that. We're talking about insecticides. But even so, you're pushing early. You need to give that plant a lot of protection at that time. And, you know, I, I'm just putting out the cautions here to try this. Uh, I would lay off your early plan. If you just want to start, I wait to your later plantings to, to do this. And this is just my caution. And then be a diligent observer. You need to find out what works on your fields. And 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 uh, and, and just if, if you're going to be, you, you what if, what if, you know, you have some um, insect problems, you may have to come in and do a rescue treatment. Do you have a secondary plan uh, in case you need to come back to save your crop? So these are just being responsible for this. And then I would say we've seen a clear association of planting green. I would not recommend planting naked seed into uh, where the where the cover crop has been killed weeks in advance. I just we our our research what I've been involved with has shown that it works best and most consistent when you plant green. So um, that's pretty much the the topics that I have out there i want to um i would like to see uh you know hear what else uh, others of you are saying and i see that uh, dan towery mentioned here in the chat pretty much agreeing here that early planting corn you may want to use a seed treatment so and i agree to that so just this kind of a you know just being prudent here in this but okay um other questions or comments here on our topic today see this marty Yes, Marty. Marty from Wisconsin, by the way. By the way, for by the way, for all of you, when you say who you are, tell us where you're from, because that is always important perspective. So, Marty from Wisconsin, go ahead. All right, thanks, Steve. I'm yep. wondering why not uh, test for nematodes in your soils. I do that every year. Our state here in Wisconsin, they offer four test kits every year, and I do test for it. Uh, it's offered by the Corn Soy Association in our state. So I, that way I get to know what my populations are. So far, they've been low because I use non-nematode uh, soybeans. Corn, not, not yet. So you're talking about nematodes or that's a little different than neonic? So sure. it's, it's still, if you're not, if you uh, stay away from your nematodes, you stay away from killing that, uh, your predators. Okay. Okay. Tell me a little bit more about that because I personally... I have not, I'm not familiar with nematodes. That I'm not familiar with that. So are you saying the same principle applies? That's what I'm told, yes. That's okay. the way I understand Unless I misunderstand, but that's the way I understand it. Does anybody else want to back us up on that nematodes? Um, anybody else have experience? Because that is a new territory for me. Well, I take your word for it, Marty. I just am not familiar with the nematode effect. Um, but that's just good to know that, that that would be we could talk about that next week some more i'll be in wisconsin all next week with marty so we'll have plenty of time to talk uh but i'm glad you brought it up uh, that, that's good other comments questions john it's uh john from southwest ohio um for me, it's, you know, when I've got untreated seed in the box, I can run my hands through it. If I spill a little bit, I'm not concerned about uh, animals uh, uh, around the barnyard picking it up or wherever. And uh, it's just, it's kind of a nice uh, 
uh, <clears throat> feeling to not not be handling um, treated feed. So uh, that, that's a that's a nice uh, side benefit. Yeah, I see that as a side benefit as well as well as well. And um, you know, we got to make it work. But then once you figure it out, it's uh, it absolutely is more pleasant for sure. Other comments or questions? I really would like to hear if anybody else has done this before or heard about it or worked with people who have done it. Uh, Rod in Idaho, uh, John brings up a, a real important point. Uh, a lot of times our health uh, needs to be mighty high on the list. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Well, you're right. I mean, that's something that we do. I think we in agriculture, and I'm coming from the conventional side. That's the way I was I could say born and raised. Um, and, you know, I think we have to take a second look here at what we're doing. It all comes down to human health eventually. Uh, we're, we're, we're growing food for people to eat. And we also need to keep our own health in mind as we are growing that food. So uh, Dan mentions here that we need strip trials across the Midwest to show that neonics and soybeans are not needed. I couldn't agree more. I don't know, Dan, I see your microphone's on. Is it working? I mean, I wouldn't mind hearing what you know about being this done, or is, is you want to comment now a little bit more? Is there, is there active uh, uh, things set up to do that? Or I see your microphone's on, Dan, Maybe I, but I don't hear you. Yeah, okay. Well, anyway, thanks for at least um, putting your comment in there because I think there's a strong enough momentum now we're going to see more trials and replicated trials and stuff like that to really show we do need to back this up with science. Um, and I'm, those of you who know me, I've done lots and lots of research and uh, to do observations of saying, well, I, I didn't use neonics and the corn seemed to yield is better. That's fine. If that's what for, for yourself, but when you start making recommendations to other farmers, you do need to back it up with facts. And um, that's why I participated in a three-year study here uh, with uh, four other farms in Pennsylvania. It was all replicated, all done from a scientific angle. And um, the, the results in simple terms just basically came out that using naked seed is a viable option provided you're into the cover crop slash no-till slash some sort of diversity uh, system. So that's kind of like, what we learned out of that and and also a caveat we need to keep trying to fine-tune it and and so forth so okay um, before we open it up to any tower any cover crop topic at all just want to say next week's topic is going to be well i shouldn't say next week we're actually going to skip a week because i have to be in uh, wisconsin all week next week marty has me busy all week so i can't do a webinar next week but i'm going to make it up uh, we'll have two webinars some week at some point. My schedule's pretty busy now, but just saying the week after next, we're going to talk about a very, very big concern uh, that I'm hearing. Uh, it's in my area too. There was so many fields that were harvested late. There was some good no-till fields that got rutted up uh, with extreme wet conditions. So how do you repair ruts and damaged soils due to harvesting extreme wet conditions? So uh, that's going to be our topic next time, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of interest in that. It's one of the hottest topics here in the East that we're talking about at every meeting because it is definitely uh, that wet harvest certainly did uh, did set us back in some fields, no doubt about it. And how do we go from here? How do we manage? So, well, okay. 
Um, just um, wrapping up here. Uh, any cover crop question any of you guys have? Um, while you're thinking, Dan Towery mentions, what about seeding covers late in March, the pros and cons? Um, I plan to, to do a topic on that probably the next one after that because there certainly is opportunity there if we can get in the ground uh, to, to, to do early spring covers. So thanks for my mentioning that, Dan. But So I have all your mics open. Anybody um, – any other comments for today's topic or any other cover crop question that you've been mulling over that you want to ask me or the group? We've got a lot of a lot of people on here today uh, that can maybe help us answer some of these questions, but who has a question for the group? Hey, this is Marty from Wisconsin again. I got a yes. question for the group. Uh, as you know, I'm interseeder. Been doing it for three years this year, trying it on conventional corn. Not using glyphosate before you do the interseeding. What are people using for uh, burned down weeds that are there or to have a little bit of residual? So anybody want to, anybody else that's using interseeding? I know Dan's involved with that. Apparently his microphone's not working. Um, I don't know if you type something in there, Dan, or not. But um, any, anyone else interseeding without the use of glyphosate? And what herbicide do you use to kill weeds that are around that knee high time anybody else so i'll just say then marty that um i played around with it a little bit and some post-emergence uh there's one that i use called armazon which again i'm not really familiar with it it did ding the uh the, the interseeded cover crop you could tell it affected it a little bit but it did survive that year that i did it so that's all i'm saying i used some armazon um don't ask me the rate right now. I'd have to go look because I'm not that familiar with it. But I would say that worked. I I think I'll have to look, but maybe the Penn State Interceder website may have some listed. Let me make a note of that here, and uh, I might get back to you on that um, to see yes, what, they, what could be used. They do. I'm in touch with John Wall. I think it's John Wallace from Penn State. Okay. Uh, he and I were talk this morning yet on this. Okay. Uh, the crop I'm interested in was annual ryegrass, uh, vetch, mm -hmm. clover, uh, red clover, medium red clover, and two mm -hmm. brassicas. So that makes it a little more concerning. If you had one species, it'd be a little yeah. easier. Yeah, we have to there. make it. Yeah, we got to make it complex, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, did you recall any herbicides that he suggested to take out existing weeds at interseeding that won't affect your interseeded cover crop? No, we haven't been in touch yet. He's he, oh. uh, he emailed me back this morning, said that he'll gotcha. be in touch with me later this morning. But uh, what okay. I've been using is basis blend at the time of okay. planting corn, losing okay. five to six days after planting. I and see. With the uh, crops, the uh, GMO corn I've been growing, I've been able to use glyphosate before I go plant. Yeah, right. 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 Anyone else have any comments on uh, Marty's question there? Anyone else? Um, this is an ongoing process, Marty, because uh, interseeding, although not perfect, uh, it's working in your area, Michigan, uh, Minnesota seems to be getting a lot of steam. I'll say northern Iowa, uh, northern PA, um, New York, Ontario, Quebec. So you get the idea. It's kind of the northern, the northern third of the corn belt, you might say seems to be working the best and most consistent. So it's a kind of an evolution here of trying to figure the, the system out uh, in, in how to do that. So um, anyway, 
So Rod asked a question here in the chat. When you plant uh, radishes with winter wheat, which I, I have a webinar on that. If you're interested, you can go back and find it. And, and by the way, uh, the webinars are searchable now. So you could just type in radishes and wheat and you could probably find it easily because there's, there's a lot there. So his question is, is there any taste or smell transferred and evident in the wheat next summer? And, um, well, you get the prize for the being the first person to ever ask that before, Rod. That's a, that's a good one there. Uh, usually the radishes winter kill. If they're far enough north, you get temperatures in the mid-teens Fahrenheit. They're minus 7 Celsius for a couple nights. It's going to take them out. If not, you they're fairly easy to take out with herbicides, anyone who does this further south. Uh, but no, I've never heard of the smell or taste transferred uh, in the wheat. I've never heard of that. Um, I It would seem that it would be difficult to do because they're long gone uh, by the time the wheat uh, grows in the spring. So um, that's, that's what I'm thinking on that. So anyone else have another question today? Well, thanks so much. Uh, appreciate your good questions and uh, all who joined today. I will see you in two weeks. I'll announce the date here soon. Um, but until then, stay curious and keep learning.